0: Let us begin this morning as we turn in our Bibles to John chapter 7, verses 1 to 52, but we're going to focus in on verses 37 and 30 through 39. If you're a visitor or guest this morning, thank you for coming. My name is Al Pino. I have the distinct, glorious privilege of being one of the two pastors here, the other pastor being Corey and also pastoral intern Jose Prado. And we welcome you to Palm Vista, and we welcome you to the most important time at Palm Vista, and that is when we crack open our Bibles and we study the Word of God. And so you should have a copy of the notes in your hands. It will be so helpful for you to have those. Let me just say that this morning's message, this morning's message is about the Holy Spirit. So in the title, you see there, Rivers of Living Water. And that refers to the Holy Spirit. So let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 7, and let's see what Jesus teaches us about the Holy Spirit, whom he gives us. So let's turn in our text. John chapter 7, verse 37. Let me read the following. On the last day of the feast, the great day... Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given Because Jesus had not been glorified. Lord, we pray this morning that you would give us the spirit that we might understand what you are teaching us here. Father, I thank you for that anointing. I thank you for that gift of the spirit in my life to teach. And the gift of the spirit in the lives of those who are listening, that they might be illuminated. They might have the scriptures come to light. Oh, Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, God speaks to us from the book of John this morning, telling us primarily this, and it's in your notes. Believe Jesus and receive the promised Holy Spirit. Believe Jesus and receive the promised Holy Spirit. So this morning, God is is speaking to us. And he's saying this, believe and receive. And it is my joy to explain to you, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of teaching, what exactly it means to believe Jesus and what exactly it means to receive the Holy Spirit. So that when you, when you emerge from this auditorium this morning, you will have clearly explained to you from Scripture what it means to believe Jesus And what it means to receive the Holy Spirit. And you know what else my prayer is this morning? That you will actually have an experience. A fresh experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. That this isn't just an intellectual exercise for you. But that you will have the experience of God himself giving you what Jesus came to purchase for you. That's why Jesus came. So he could give you the Holy Spirit. And that changes your life. So let's jump into Scripture and to see what it says. Now, I have to do something as we begin this sermon. I have to give you an extended biblical illustration or background information in order to get you to chapter 37. Excuse me, chapter 7, verse 37. Notice in verse 37 that it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day... Jesus stood up and cried out. So before we see what he cried out, we must first understand what this feast is. Why did Jesus choose that feast and that day to say what he said? The feast that we're talking about is the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was one of three Very important feasts in the Jewish calendar. The first one, you're probably very aware of. It's called the Feast of Passover. Being in South Florida, you may even have celebrated a Passover with Jewish friends in a Seder meal. Typically, that feast would take place in the springtime, April time frame. Fifty days later in the Jewish calendar would be the Feast of Pentecost. Now, it's interesting. We as Christians would celebrate Pentecost as the day the Holy Spirit was given. That's a feast in the Jewish calendar. And then in the fall, probably sometime around September in our calendars, is the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's what we're studying here. The Feast of Tabernacles was literally a seven-day feast with a final eighth day added to it. They call it the Great Day. That's the day that is mentioned here in verse 37. And this Feast of Tabernacles was intended to commemorate God's faithfulness to the Jews when they were marching through the wilderness for 40 days. When they marched through the wilderness for 40 days, they built tabernacles or booths. This is also called a feast of booths. And they would build these booths and they would live in them. So ever since they entered the promised land... They had been celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. In fact, today, a good Jew will celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. So what did they do during that feast? They would build tents on the roofs of their houses. Typically, it's hot in the Middle East, so they would put it on the roof, sometimes in the backyard. They would build these tents out of palm branches and bark and whatever they could, and the men of the house... Had to live in those booths or tabernacles or tents for seven days. Okay? So, dads, it's Father's Day. Every year you had a scheduled camp out with your sons. It was called the Feast of Tabernacles. And typically, this feast was a very joyous time. There was a lot of partying, there was a lot of sacrificing of animals. But you know what happened during this feast? Every day, typically in the morning, the priests would take a jar specially crafted jar, and they would walk to a special pool in Jerusalem called the Pool of Siloam. And they would dip the jar in the Pool of Siloam, and they would have this very regal, very pompous sort of ceremony with all of the horns and the musicians playing, and they would march from the Pool of Siloam into the temple. And as they were marching, they would be singing songs and the songs they would be singing in fact i'd like you to write this down would be they're called the hallel h a l l e l hallel h a l l e l if you've grown up jewish if this rings a bell great that's what hallel means all right and all the hallel is is psalms 113 to 118 so write that down psalm 113 to 118 <clears throat> And so if you want to just grab those psalms and sing those, that's what they would do. They would be singing the halal. They would be walking into the temple. And then the priest would take this jar. He would walk into the altar in the temple. And he would pour out the water at the base of the altar. And he would do it seven days. Now here's the key for you. Pay attention. Every good Jew knew two things about the the, the Festival of Tabernacles or the Feast of Tabernacles. Number one, he was going to drink a lot of wine for seven days. That's right. Never get drunk. You can't get drunk. But a lot of good wine was going to be drunk, okay? And number two, he knew that this feast was about water. It was about water. Because remember, this is an agricultural society. So they're pouring out the water and they're saying, Lord, please give us water for our crops because it's the fall and the dry season is coming, right? Remember South Florida? The dry season is basically our winter and we just now left the dry season. We're now in the rainy season. Without the rainy season, crops don't grow. So they're saying, Lord, give us water. But then the, the religious or the spiritual Jew knew one more thing. Not only was I going to drink a lot of wine for seven days, good Argentinian wine, Not only only was this about rain for the crops, but the spiritual Jew knew one more thing. Every day when the priest was pouring out that water, we were hoping for the day Messiah comes. Because the day Messiah comes, that water represents not just good crops, that water represents the Holy Spirit of God. And that Holy Spirit of God would proceed from the temple because the center of the universe for a good Jew was the temple. The very navel of the earth for a good Jew was the temple and the altar in the temple. And from the center of the universe, from the center of the earth, would come the Spirit of God, and that Spirit would give life to all the earth. But not yet. So every year, we're satisfied with good wine, a camp out with the kids, and hope for the year Messiah comes. On the eighth day, after seven days of that, our Lord Jesus stands up and says, I'm the one. Are you thirsty? You know, after seven days of drinking, you're not thirsty. But he's talking about another thirst. Come to me. Drink. Out of you will come rivers of living water. And then what does verse 39 say? Look at verse 39. Now this he said about what? The Spirit, whom those who believed in him were yet to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given. So now, let's go back to that. And let's go back to God's propositional statement to you this morning in your notes. Believe Jesus and receive the promised Spirit. Why believe? And what does believe look like? Well, let's talk about what belief looks like first. In your notes, first point, believe Jesus. This is a quote from the ESV study Bible. Highly recommend you buy that. The English Standard Version study Bible. It says this about belief. To come to Jesus and drink means to believe in him to enter into a trusting, ongoing personal relationship with him. Both the image of coming to Jesus as one would come to a person and the image of drinking imply not mere intellectual assent, but a wholehearted personal involvement and participation. Thirsting for Jesus means coming to Jesus. Drinking of Jesus in verse 37 means believing in Jesus. And those mean that you're personally involved and committed to Jesus. It doesn't just mean, oh, I believe he existed. It means I believe he existed and I'm going to obey him and trust him for everything in my life. Second bullet point under number one, believe Jesus We believe Jesus because he was sent from heaven by God the Father and returned to heaven to be with his Father. Now, Jesus stands up on the eighth day. He says, I'm fulfilling what you have believed for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Probably 1,500 years prior to this event was when Moses would have penned those words. So for 1,500 years, every every year, for 1,500 times, you've seen this ceremony conducted. Today it's fulfilled in me. And, And so they're going, what? Why should we believe in you? That's the first bullet point here. Believe in Jesus because he was sent from heaven by God the Father and returned to heaven to be with his Father. You see, that's what Jesus was saying to them. Let me try to show you that in the text. If you have your Bible, look at chapter 7, verse 1. What you'll see immediately is that they were trying to kill Jesus. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Jesus came to die, but not yet. Jesus came to die, but not yet. He was sent by the Father which was the very reason why they wanted to kill him, because he claimed equality with the father. Therefore, since he was sent by the father, believe him. It was the very reason they wanted to kill him. Very quickly, if you look at verse 6, you will see that Jesus says, my time has not yet come. And then if you jump to verse 8, he says again, I am not going up to this feast By the way, in the Greek, that means yet. I am not going up to the feast yet, for my time has not yet come. What was Jesus' time? The cross. Jesus' time was his death on the cross. What's the point I'm trying to make here? Believe Jesus because God sent him to die on a cross, but in this narrative, his time hadn't come yet. Second bullet point. Believe Jesus... Because he spoke with God's authority and for God's glory. Believe Jesus because he spoke with God's authority and for God's glory. Jesus Jesus spoke the truth of God's word with God's authority, not man's. Now, in this narrative... Jesus says to them, the Father sent me, and I speak with the Father's authority, not my own authority. I speak for the Father's glory, not my own glory. Therefore, believe me. And then he uses an interesting illustration. Beginning there in verse 19, he says, "He says, let me give you an illustration of the authority I have. M- Moses came and and gave you the law, but you don't obey the law. Why do you want to kill me? They said, we don't want to kill you. You have a demon. But remember verse 1 of chapter 7? They wanted to kill him. He knew why they wanted to kill him, and here it is. Now now catch this logic. We're on the second bullet point of believe Jesus because he speaks with God's authority, unlike the Jews. He says, you want to kill me? Because back in chapter 5 of John, I healed a, a man who was at a pool. It was called the Pool of Bethesda. I healed this guy on Sunday on the Sabbath. And you told me that I broke the Sabbath. And then I told you that I'm greater than the Sabbath. And then you rightly understood that I was making myself equal with God. And for that reason, you want to kill me. Now catch the logic. He goes, but, but doesn't Moses tell you? to circumcise your males as a part of the sign of the covenant? And they're going, yeah. And, and and don't you have to circumcise that male on the eighth day, even if it's on the Sabbath? Yeah. So you break the Sabbath, because that was considered work, so that you won't disobey God. Yeah. Well, I'm God. Isn't it much better for me to heal? If you're going to circumcise someone on the Sabbath, isn't it even better to heal a man's body and make him whole on the Sabbath? And they went, yeah. What? Kill him! As a matter of fact, when you read this narrative, everybody that hangs out with Jesus, even the officers of the temple that go to arrest him, they say stuff like, well, we didn't arrest him because no one has ever spoken like this guy. And, and, and isn't, could this be the Christ? I mean, who's going to do more than this guy does And Who's going to speak with more authority than he speaks? So that second bullet point, my friend, believe Jesus not just because he was sent from the Father to die on the cross, to raise from the dead and ascend back to the Father, but believe Jesus because he speaks with authority. His authority is the word. He is the word. Jesus is the word. Believe him. Now, here comes the main point of the message. Point number two in your notes. What do we believe? We believe his promise of the Holy Spirit. You see that there? Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water, verse 38. That's the punchline. That's the title of the message. What do we believe? We believe that Jesus is able to give us the Holy Spirit. Now, how can I say it's the Holy Spirit that's being spoken of? Hey, Al, you're talking about water. You're talking about Old Testament symbols. You're talking about Feast of Tabernacles. Well, take a look in your notes. Water is the Old Testament symbol for the Holy Spirit. When when Jesus says, when Jesus says in verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, when he says that, it's not like I can actually point to you a scripture that he's talking about. But I can share with you many scriptures that good Jews would understand. Remember, a good Jew knew three things. I'm going to drink a lot of wine. This is about water for the crops. But it's more than just water for the crops next year. It's about the Holy Spirit that Messiah will pour out on all the earth. And they knew that because of scriptures like these. Read them for yourselves. I'll read them out loud. You quietly. Isaiah 44, 3. For I, the Lord saying, will pour water on the thirsty land and streams of on the dry ground. I will pour my what? Spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. Sounds like conversion to me. Sounds like regeneration, your dead heart coming alive to me. Prophesied by Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my what? Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my words. But oh friends, God grabs Ezekiel. He grabs the prophet Ezekiel. Maybe five, six hundred years before Jesus utters his words at the feast of tabernacles god grabs ezekiel in this next passage and he says come over here with me ezekiel in the spirit i'm going to take you to the temple let's pick up the narrative ezekiel 47 verse 1 then he the messenger of god brought me ezekiel back to the door of the what the temple and behold what was coming water was issuing from below the threshold So the water that's poured out on the altar is starting to flow from underneath the threshold of the temple. And Ezekiel continues to get this revelation toward the east for the temple faced the east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar, south of the altar, south of the altar. Folks, this is Feast of Tabernacles times. This is Messianic prophecy time. Sit up, pay attention, Holy Spirit time, Messiah time, new time, this is our time. Verse 2, then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate. So he's coming out of the temple in the spirit and he's walking around that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was, what was it? Trickling out on the south side. Verse 3, going on eastward and a measuring line in his hand, a man measured 1,000 cubits, about 1,500 yards. So 10 and a half, no, 15 football fields and led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Hey, what happened to the trickle? Now it's ankle deep. Ankle deep. Verse 4. Again, he measured a 1,000, another 1,500 yards, and led me through the water. And this time it was knee deep. And again, he measured a 1,000, another 1,500 yards, and he led me through the water, and it was waist deep. And again, he measured a 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, Have you seen this? Oh, this is the passage they were thinking of when Jesus stood up, my friends. They knew this passage. Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side and on the other, and skipping down to verse 12, and on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month. Do you know a tree that bears fresh fruit every month? This is God time. This is God doing something in you that you could never do yourself. This is supernatural. This is the Spirit of God in your life. Because the water from them flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. What does it mean to have the Holy Spirit in you, flowing out of you like rivers of living water? It means a fruitful life. It means you're a healing life. And it means the gospel of Jesus has captured you. And that bullet point under number two, Jesus alone provides the real drink of the satisfying spirit. Jesus alone provides the real drink of the satisfying spirit. If you look at verse 39, there's a bit of a mystery here because it says the following. Now this he, Jesus said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. That does not mean that the spirit of God had not been given at all on earth. It had been. But it hadn't been given the way Ezekiel's talking about. It hadn't been given the way we have it today in Jesus. Because the Spirit of God could only be given as the Son of God gave his life to be sacrificed for you and me, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and was seated at the right hand of God the Father. I invite you to read with me, again, silently, I'll read out loud, the scripture I've provided for you that documents this. It's Acts chapter 2. We're going to skip around, but just follow the notes there. Acts chapter 2, dear friends, is a sermon by the Apostle Peter the very first day the church is born on earth. It's the first sermon of the church. And Peter is preaching it on the day of Pentecost, right after the Spirit of God has descended on 120 Christians in tongues of fire and they're speaking with other tongues and they're worshiping God and there's a big commotion and people run up to them. On the day of Pentecost, listen to what Peter says. But Peter, standing with the 11, the 11 apostles, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, Lots of good wine was flowing that day, but it wasn't the wine you and I drink. It was the wine of the Spirit of God. They're not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, about nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Remember I told you that there were lots of scriptures in the Old Testament that equated water with the Spirit? Here's another one. Just didn't have a chance to read it, but Peter cites it. But this is what, through the prophet Joel, verse 17, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Jumping to verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Can you just look at me for a second? That's Jesus' hour. Now keep your finger on the notes and look in the Bible. Look at John chapter 7, verse 30. John chapter 7, verse 30. It says So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his what? Hour had not yet come. Now drop back into Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Excuse me, verse 24. You crucified, verse 23. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's Jesus' hour. That's the hour that Jesus mentions in John chapter 7, verse 39, that the Spirit cannot be given until Jesus is crucified his hour comes resurrected and ascended. I hope this is coming together for you. All right, let's go back to Acts 2 in the notes. And God raised him from raised him up verse 24 loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter is preaching the gospel. Jesus Christ crucified, buried, raised from the dead. Now look at verse 32 in your notes of Acts 2. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. That's his ascension. Now he's ascended into heaven. Remember, he came from the Father. His hour came. He died on the cross. He then rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended into heaven 40 days later. And now on the day of Pentecost, he's pouring out the promised spirit. That's what Peter is documenting. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Look at the response of the people, verse 36. And I'm hoping, you know, some of you may respond that way this morning. You're not saved. You don't know God. You're so dead to God, you're a dry, dead desert to God. And he wants to pour his water, the water of the Spirit on your soul, and give you life. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Some of you may be cut to the heart this morning and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And what will you receive? The gift Of the Holy Spirit. Now. You should ask this question of me. Al. What does it look like. To receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You should be asking that question. Can I suggest a few things. Number one. It means that God makes your dead heart. Alive toward him. I can't do that for you. If there's something in you that's moving and shaking, if you're feeling sad, happy, if you're feeling uncomfortable, if you feel like you want to jump out and run out of here as fast as you can, or you feel like you want to cry, that's the Holy Spirit, dear friend. That's a gift. It's called conversion. There's a lot of fancy names for it, but regeneration, making something alive that was dead. So that's one gift of the Holy Spirit. I trust most of you have experienced that. You know what another one is? Do you know why the, the Holy Spirit was given, according to Acts chapter 1, there are many reasons, but one of the main reasons? To make us his witnesses. The very thing that Peter did, he stood up and bore witness of Jesus. He wants to fill you. You want to know what it means to have the gift of the Holy Spirit, dear Christian friend? It means that you have a renewed power and boldness to go and share the, this gospel with your friends and family. You know what else it means to have the gift of the Holy Spirit? It means that that area in your life that doesn't look like Jesus, we call that sin, can change. So the gift of the Holy Spirit for you means that he can change you by his power. And finally, I believe the gift of the Holy Spirit means that you have gifts to serve the church. You're observing, one, what I'm doing right now. But what I do right now on Sunday morning by preaching is no different than what Jenny, our secretary, does during the week when she buys the gift certificates that we just gave to those fathers, when she buys the Diet Cokes we're going to drink on our retreat, when she serves you by putting things in the bulletin, or or my daughter Vanessa does when she types up the informed e-newsletter and sends it out to you, or Wally does with the website. Those are gifts of the Holy Spirit. You want to know what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit? God's gifted you. Guys like Miguel and me have public gifts, lead worship, preach, but there's so many more private gifts. So what gift has he given you? Will you believe? Will you come to Jesus? Will you believe and receive the Holy Spirit? Now, I want, I want, to, I want to talk about one last gift of the Spirit. And I believe God is whispering this into all of our ears. The last gift of the Holy Spirit I'm going to talk about is actually on the application page. So would you turn there? I believe it's the third page of your notes. On that application page, I believe we find an example of the gift of illumination. And if you want to write that word down, that's fine. Illumination. If you can't spell it, don't worry. Neither can I. Just sound it out in your head. It does have two L's. Illumination. Doesn't it, Corey? Illumination. Okay. (laughs) Illumination. All that is, it's, it's the ability to understand God's word properly. Church, for four weeks, God's been talking to us about understanding his word. It started when I began preaching about Jesus being the bread of life. It's continued when Corey gave the outstanding message about Jesus having the words of life. Coming to Christ, feeding on Jesus' words. I believe this is a word for us. The gift God wants to to give you is joy in reading his word and understanding his word. And let me use the Old Testament to encourage you with this. What you have before you is Nehemiah chapter 8, sections of it. And let me give you some background. Nehemiah chapter 8 was written probably about 500 BC. And it was written to chronicle or to to give a history of jews who had been sent deported to babylon modern day iraq because of their disobedience to god and now they came back to jerusalem and they were rediscovering their faith so this is written to believers who have slid away from god and it's the story of how God led them. So let's pick up the narrative. Verse 5, there in your notes, Nehemiah 8. And Ezra, who was the priest, opened the book, this is the Bible what they had, the Old Testament back then, the book of the law, in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood out of reverence for the word. Verse 6. By the way, they stood all day long. Aren't you glad you get to sit during the sermon? They had such reverence for God's word. They actually stood during the whole preaching of the word. Actually, a full half day, for sure. All right. And Ezra, verse 6, Bless the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, amen. So if you want to say amen during a sermon, you can, all right? That's biblical. It doesn't bother me. Amen. There you go. Come on. Wake up. Lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, I'm jumping to 7B because I'm skipping all of the long names that are in the first part of that verse. All these guys listed in your scripture, the Levites, <clears throat> helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. And there was joy in the camp, friends. Joy in the camp. Because they understood God and God has truth and everything else is a lie. Verse 13, on the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites, they came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And in verse 14, they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths. That's right. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. But they weren't celebrating it because they had backslidden from God and they didn't know God's word and they were ignorant and they were foolish and they hadn't read their Bibles and they were walking around as know-it-alls who thought they knew better than God and they were living off religion, not a personal relationship, and studying God's word. I know what God is so kind to them. Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, verse 15, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns. And in Jerusalem, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. And look at verse 16. They had joy in obeying God's word. The gift of the Holy Spirit is illumination to understand God's word and then joyously go obey it. Yeeha Let the wine flow. Get the salsa music going. We're doing spiritual dancing, rap music, whatever you listen to, as long as it's focused on God. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof. See, they built them on the roofs of their houses and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim and all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths for the day... Now notice, they hadn't been obeying this for a long time. How do I know that? Because look at this next part. For from the days of Yeshua, that's Joshua, Moses, right-hand man who took Israel in, the son of Nun, to that day, so a long time, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great, what? Rejoicing. It's fun to read God's Word. It's fun to understand God's Word. We should obey God's Word. God's Word isn't meant to just be read and say, oh, that's a nice intellectual exercise. God's Word's meant to be read. You put it down, you get on your face, and you go, yes, God, I'm going to obey it by your grace. And you get up and you go, wow, we're obeying God's Word. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit, friend. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law, and they kept the feast seven days. The wine flowed. And on the eighth day, the eighth day, the eighth day, the day that Jesus stood up and said, I am that water, I am the one who gives you the spirit, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. And look at chapter 9, verse 3. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day standing. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. Some of you need to bow your knee and receive the work of the Spirit of regeneration, conversion to Christ. Most of the rest of us need to receive the gift of the Spirit of illumination, of conviction and courage, of seeing Jesus as bigger than our sin, of courage to witness for him, of power and of gifts. So I want to give space for that right now. So would you please bow your head and worship? Bow your head, just right where you're seated there. Don't stand. Just bow your head for a moment. Let's be as still as we can. God is working. Father, we're underneath your word. We haven't been under it for a quarter of a day, six hours. But we've been under it for a good 30, 40 minutes, and it feels good. It's good for me. I'm thirsty for this. And so, God, if there's a soul here in this room that has been dry and dead, would you give them the gift of the spirit of regeneration, conversion? And if that's you, just cry out to God with every head bowed. Let me just tell you, if if that's you and you're praying right now and God's converting you, you know what the Bible says you need to do? is get baptized. It doesn't talk about signing cards or praying a prayer. It says, get baptized. And bring all your unbelieving friends and say, I belong to Jesus. Come with me. And we're going to do that in two weeks, July 5th. So you talk to me after the service, and let's get you baptized. Lord, I trust for the rest of us who know you, Lord, we are dry in other areas. We need to be filled with your spirit, Lord, to overcome sin. Filled with your spirit to see you as bigger than than anything in this world. Filled with your spirit to witness for you. Filled with your spirit to identify gifts and begin to serve with those gifts. So fill us, God. Just cry out to him in your own heart. Say, Lord, fill me. I believe. Now I receive. I believe.